Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt Podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jessica. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash heaven in a miniskirt to join our Club V. And if you join, you'll get our eternal love. And there are different levels you can subscribe to. However, they all provide the same benefits, which is one bonus episode per month. But eventually we hope to be able to do more. And if you are in the higher tiers, you will receive ad-free episodes when applicable, which are not applicable right now, but maybe in the future. And if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us at Heaven in a Miniskirt on Instagram and TikTok. Okay, so today, by the way, hi, we are back. We haven't recorded in a while. We're feeling a little rusty. Yeah, and, I've just uh, been posting memes. Sarah's only posting memes on Instagram. It's been fun, though. We took a break from recording. And now we're back and it's back to school season. And today we have a really special guest. We recorded this episode over the summer with Rachel Bernstein, who is somebody that I know of through just knowing too much about cults. So I came across Rachel while listening to a culty podcast that I, I mentioned it in our episode. And then I realized she has her own podcast and she interviews cult survivors from really any cult that you can think of she's had on. And when I found that, I was about four months into mat leave and I went so far down the cult rabbit hole that like I got completely burned out because I just listened to so many episodes. And I really do love her. She's been featured in quite a few documentaries that you might have seen, such as the Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult documentary or the Netflix series Unwell. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist from LA who specializes in cult intervention and reacclimation, and she's been doing it for over 30 years. She serves on the advisory board of the International Cultic Studies Association, and she has worked with the Department of Justice providing support to cult survivors. And she has her podcast, Indoctrination, and it is a weekly podcast covering cults and manipulators and how to protect yourself from systems of control. And we're really excited because we're doing a crossover episode. So we recorded our episode with her right after we recorded one where we're going to be guests on Indoctrination Podcast. So you can check that out as well. We'll link that in our social media. As soon as you hear this, you'll have kind of a bonus episode. I haven't listened to it yet, the one that we were on with Rachel. <laughs> Me neither. It was like a counseling session. <laughs> I felt like I was in a counseling session, which was amazing because, you know, I've been listening to Rachel, like I said, for over a year. And she's somebody who I really admire. And when you get really obsessed with something, there are like big players in whatever hobby you're obsessed with. So be cults isn't really a hobby, but it is for you. <laughs> it is for me. And she is somebody who's really famous in the cult space. And there's others like her. There's people that have been on her podcast that are also cult experts. There are literally a million ways that you can go if you're obsessed with cults. So if you are, just let me know and I'll give you some resources. And so Rachel was on our podcast. We, oh my gosh, the reason that we had her on in the first place was maybe a selfish reason, but also because Sarah and I are both parents and we are both survivors of high control religious groups yeah and we want to make sure that our children don't experience that but we also don't want to scare them and put all of our baggage onto them we also don't want to shelter them from any form of 
spirituality or religion. Like they have to know about the world and other humans and different ways of being. So we get into talking about how do you balance all of that and what are the red flags and green flags of certain groups and how we as parents can equip our children to be able to navigate those spaces as they grow. And if you're not a parent, I think you'll still get a lot out of it because we talk about kids specifically, but it can also, it can be very generalized and you can use the same advice towards a loved one, a parent, a sister, grandparents. And there's a lot of really good advice in there. So without further ado, we really hope you enjoy this episode. We had the most fun recording it. So thank you so much. We will be back in a couple weeks and we'll have our bonus episodes once per month for our Patreon supporters and hopefully more going forward. And have a great day. All right. So we have Rachel Bernstein with us today, and I am so excited. So for context, I found Rachel about a year and a half ago, listening to the Twin Flames podcast, where she had, there was like a bonus episode at the end where she was the cult expert. And they mentioned that she had her own podcast called Indoctrination, which is fantastic. And I started binging that. And she's had survivors of really, honestly, any cult you can think of, or any high control group or high control religion that you can think of on her podcast. And she has such an amazing expertise. And I'm so excited that she's on here today. So hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi. Very happy to be here. It would be awesome, Rachel, if you could maybe just start by telling the listeners like a little bit about your background, maybe what professionally and what got you sort of interested in cults and high control groups. Right. Yes. So uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm very happy to talk to both of you. I got involved in this field through a confluence of circumstances where I had a family member who got involved in Scientology for a brief time. And oh no, this was I think in the eighties, maybe this was before the interwebs. And this was before, you know, a time that you could really find out what something was. It was really frightening to see such severe personality changes. And also I want to say almost like a dehumanization, like just a coldness and not having patience for people's emotions and just really a big transformation. And also all of our money was suddenly gone. Um, And that's what happens too, you know, and she had worked hard for it and it's not something that she would have normally just given over. And so what I noticed was that because we really didn't have resources, we didn't have a therapist to call. And at the time, the books that were out there were written by cult leaders. You could find books written by L. Ron Hubbard that didn't really help, (laughs) you know, at all. And so then I went to college in Boston and was studying education and special education and got my credentials. But I noticed some of the cults that I, you know, had grown up hearing about that had these front names that they used on college campuses. Well, there they were. And when you're younger and you're thinking people are being a little overly dramatic or paranoid, And I saw it in front of me. I thought, wow, this is really a thing where people can work hard to send their kids off to college campuses and have their kids basically stolen by these groups that are being given classrooms to use by the student union because they just don't know that within a semester that child will no longer be at that school because they will have needed to devote themselves to the group. And so while I had already signed up to be in the education school and get teaching credentials, which I was very happy about, and I did, 
I decided in my master's program, when I came back to LA, I went to USC, I decided maybe I need to do this kind of work, this kind of counseling. And I started going to conferences, reading any kind of book I could about undue influence, about totalitarianism, about just how people get caught up in ideas about Mao Zedong, just, mm, I thought it was interesting. Social psychology, how groups feed off of a certain kind of energy, like they they will get you to believe something or do something because you don't want to be the only one in the room not getting it or not doing it. And then I noticed while I was studying my master's, there was a teacher who was teaching us how to do group therapy. And the group therapy class actually was very cult-like. And it was really interesting to watch this happen that if you, now I had been studying this. So I suddenly thought this is actually a case study. What can go wrong in what is supposed to be a safe space with people who should know better, but the, but she didn't, uh, or she just had the ego need to run it like a cult. And if you shared a lot with her more than you really would normally with people who, this really wasn't a support group. It was a class where you sat around in a circle to make it seem like a support group and you were supposed to share things, but really they're fellow students. And this person was not your therapist. This person was your teacher, but the, all the lines got blurred. And the more you shared about very private things, the more you were liked and that she would want to go for coffee with you after and talk to you. Like you, there was this hierarchy in the room and you were seen as if you didn't have trauma to share, maybe because you didn't experience it, or you're thinking this is a class that you were ostracized and you were told that you were withholding and you were doing something bad to the rest of the people in the room by withholding. What? And it was really amazing to see this in real time. And this is a graduate course. And it's a graduate course at a major university, right? Wow. And like, wow. This is interesting. And I thought, well, okay, this could happen at the hands of a therapist which I've now dealt with a lot with people who have come to me because they've been taken over by their therapist and it's oh, an no. unconscionable thing. So all of these things became like uh, fires that were lit under me to go in this direction. And I started working at the cult clinic in LA, which is now no longer, but then was harassed by Scientology, like within my first year. They do that. And they do that. And it scared the hell out of me and then my dad, who unfortunately passed away while I was in graduate school, I heard his voice in my head because he was this wise old owl. And he just said, you can't let the bullies win. And I went back to work and I thought, okay, well, I can sort of let them win because I just, I'm going to be watching over my shoulder forever, probably doing this work. And now because I've worked with a lot of prominent former Scientologists and people who are members of the family of the leaders, they don't like me at all, but okay. I wish so badly we could just talk about Scientology today. <laughs> I want to stop every moment. I'm like, oh, I have so many questions, but we're going to keep Oh going. yeah. We can, we'll set up Some, another time. I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so then I just started doing this work and, and while I still was doing some special ed and doing general counseling, I started increasingly putting my name out there as someone who might be able to help you if you've had an experience like this and then moved to New York after I got married, had two of my three kids in New York and worked at something called the cult hotline and clinic in New York, which is, I think also no longer and ran support groups and have been running support groups for former cult members and their families to guide families who have loved ones in these situations. And I've now expanded the reach of my practice 
not only through the podcast, but through continuing to do support groups that are now international, people call in from all over, but people have really alerted me. I've learned so much from my clients. People have alerted me to things that I hadn't known about. And people would say, I, I heard you talk at a college about cults. And I, I thought that's my marriage. I am married to someone who is a malignant narcissist, and this is exactly the impact it's having on me. I've lost my sense of self. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't matter. And other people coming to me talking about their experiences and other groups that I didn't know they were considering to be like Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups that are known in the mainstream. People who have issues with 12-step because they found it to be culty. So it's been interesting to see, and people involved in political movements and QAnon and where they just got lost in an ideal, in an idea, and it just destroyed them. Mm -hmm. So it's been very interesting to watch the field transform. And I've wanted to go along with it in those ways so, so that I can cast as wide of a net, you know, as I can to help people who are dealing with this in ways that I didn't even expect. It has changed a lot. You're right. Especially with the rise of technology. And so far outside religion too. Like you think about even, I remember being a new mom and just the amount of people coming out of the woodwork from high school that were like, Hey, I have a business opportunity. MLMs. MLMs. Oh, yeah. Like, MLMs. Right. We'll go down a, we'll go down a rabbit hole sometimes there oh, about that. Man. Right. MLMs for sure. People would say, Oh, I sold this product and then I got involved in this. And what I, you were talking about called mind control, but yep, that was an MLM meeting <laughs> and mm-hmm. where that was a large group awareness landmark something. But yeah, so it it permeates so many different places because it really isn't necessarily about the belief and it's not about who's running it. It's not, it's about how it's run and the levels of manipulation and how much kind of the idea of the group matters more than you and your health and your happiness and all of it. And it's been interesting to help people also come back from that because that's its own form of counseling. And I've also helped people from behind the scenes, like counselors who have contacted me and said, I have a client who I don't know about this world. I don't know why she's panicked if she's 40 seconds late to the session and she breaks out into a sweat and she looks to see if she's going to be hit by lightning. And what is that? So it's been an interesting thing. And also to generalize it and normalize it and to say that we're all prone to this. And this is why I think cults will always exist. And it's just important to teach people what to watch out for and how to be protective of those parts of you that might be vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, wow. You have so many directions I want to go in right now. (laughs) I know. I was going to say there's so many ways we could go. But one thing Jessica and I in particular were interested in, we're both parents and we were both raised within Christianity, but now are raising our children, not really affiliated with any particular religion, but it my oldest is school age now and is coming home with questions about, about different religions. And it's making me think, okay, this is going to be an interesting thing to navigate. Cause like, maybe they'll be asked to go to so-and-so's youth group, or maybe they'll be asked to go to our particular event. And it's like, how do you navigate that as a parent to make sure that you're not sheltering your child too much from different ways of being in different belief systems, but also keeping an eye open for red flags or things that might be indicative mm-hmm. of high control groups. Right. 
it's an interesting challenge with kids because yeah, you don't want to scare them, make them worried that they're cults at every turn. They're so I'm vulnerable, right? Vulnerable, right. Very much so. I mean, I've, I think I've done the opposite to my kids where they're just sure everything's a cult until proven innocent. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if that's such a bad thing. It is something that I did want to <laughs> chat with you about is how do you tell them without scaring them? And I'm talking about cults, high control groups, and even narcissistic people. Cause I really, like you said, it kind of all melds together. Yes. It makes people feel the same way. It helps makes people lose their sense of self and not trust their own intuition and gut. How do you do that without scaring them? I don't want her to not trust adults, but you don't want them to trust every adult because not every person has their best interest in mind. It is a really hard thing, you know, and I think about, it's interesting. My mind went to Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, where he would talk about how, when he would be faced with tragedy in front of him that his mom had encouraged him to look for the helpers that if there is a fire there's going to be firemen firewomen fire people who are going to be helping they're going to be neighbors coming out like don't necessarily just focus your eye on what's wrong here but what's right and who is coming to the rescue and who is helping and that's a, i think a really lovely way of looking at things that you can have a lot in front of you that feels very scary. But there, there are a lot of times when people look at pictures of war and it's devastating, but then they'll notice the Red Cross or they'll notice someone just helping someone else up. And that's where they've learned to attune their eye. So it's the same thing here. There are many people out there who are just wanting to take advantage of you. That that is something that they see as their life's work to be able to see how much power they can extract from other people, how much they can get out of you. It's very cold. It's very calculating and calculated. And it's difficult to notice that and to remember that we roam the planet with people who are wired very differently from us in terms of their conscience. What's also true is that while they might seem like big looming figures because they create such a mess and they wreak havoc, they blow through people's lives and they it's like a tornado. They come through people's lives in terms of a marriage or being a cult leader or something and they leave wreckage behind. These people, in terms of percentages, are a very small percentage of the world. They just make a big imprint. And it's good to know that. And it's good to remember that most people are good or wanting to do good. And that sometimes also when people do things that are wrong, it's not because that is who they are, but because that's what they were encouraged to believe was okay, or they did it for their own survival. There there are so many reasons. One of the things, and I know there are so many ways to respond to this, but one of the things that I remember learning when I was young, I was at a park with a friend. And her mom handled this man who I think was not well, who was irate about something and was getting in kids' faces and parents' faces. And she handled this with such sensitivity that I've thought about this, I think, since that moment that the other parents were saying, get away from us, get away from, we're going to call the police. And he was talking about something interplanetary and who knows what, but being very scary. And she just went up to him and she said, what can I do for you? And it was like, it it disarmed everything. He suddenly was calm. He sat down. It was like he was being taken care of. So there is this idea that I've tried to raise my kids with this sometimes, even though it's good to kind of keep your distance if you think someone might be scary and might hurt you. But that a lot of times scary people are scared people. 
and that we can still try to find the heart, like reach into the heart. Mm -hmm. So even if people seem like scary people, it could be that they're injured and it could be that they're frightened and hurt from other things. And they're coming across on the offense because they've been on the defense for Mm -hmm. so long. So there's just a way of thinking about people in a different way, which I think is important. Then to get into the realm of cults, I think for it to be reduced down to the fact that there are going to be some organizations that are run by people who are going to pretend, I'm using childlike language for this, but they're going to pretend that they care about you. They're going to pretend they like you and they're going to pretend that they are trustworthy. And the important thing is to try to figure out if they really do care and if you really can trust them or not. Sometimes it's hard to know at first, but there are some ways to test that out. And I think offering people, even at a young age, a way to discern if someone is trustworthy or not. I'm actually going to put together a webinar about being trustworthy and what that means and what that looks like and how it's never 100%, really, because you're dealing with human beings, but still just how to know a little bit better. Arming kids with a way to protect themselves makes the world a lot less scary. It's like a a person who has been attacked and then they learn self-defense. Then the world is a less scary place because they can't stop the person from coming up to them, but they can make sure that they wind up on the floor. And that feels good. So it's about noticing, like, for example, with kids, if someone promises you something and they just never come through with that promise. They say they're going to give you something and it just never quite happens. Then you can't trust what they say. If they tell one story to you and a different story to someone else about the same thing, then you can't trust what they say. And then you need to not believe everything they say. And these little techniques, I think, are helpful at a young age because they're going to come across this with friends who will say, you're my best friend, but only because like they can get something out of your kid. Yeah. And not to say that that kid's a narcissist. It's just a kid, but but maybe they're not super trustworthy right now. Right. And for example, with people who I work with, who they've come out of cults and some people who even haven't, who are just sort of young adults who are starting in the dating world and they want to know who they can trust and who they can't, what a narcissist behaves like and what a narcissist looks like and what an emotional abuser or manipulator does. Here are the techniques, see if they do this. And we can go over some of those techniques. But what I sometimes tell kids too is that they might not know exactly what they're looking at, but sometimes they can feel it. They can feel that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. They can feel that something's off. And like there is a friend who might make them feel nervous. And maybe because that friend sometimes gets angry, but they might not have the word for that, but that they might get a little bit of a stomach ache when they're with them. And to hear what your body is telling you and how it's reacting before Mm -hmm. you have the words. There was someone who I worked with who said to me, I really love this man who I've started dating. I've noticed that there's so much for me, there's so much I need to work on now. And I said, what do you mean now? She has all of these insecurities that she didn't have before. And so we talked about what those were, and it was that he wasn't upfront about saying, you need to look different and then I'll love you. He would just go take her to a restaurant. And then when she wanted to order um, an hors d'oeuvre 
and a main course, he would say, do you really need that? Oh. <laughs> and at first it was that she thought maybe he didn't have the money, but then he would talk about having money. And in those kind of comments, she was left thinking that she's not beautiful enough or not thin enough. And, but he didn't say it, but he said it. And so what are you left feeling after you spend time with this person? Do you feel safe and comfortable and like you can be yourself? Or do you feel like suddenly you have a list of stuff you need to change? One thing that I want to talk about was how to teach your children or even your friends, your loved ones, how to trust their gut instinct and their mm -hmm. intuition mm -hmm. when perhaps they've been told by a high control group or a denomination of Christianity that that's Sarah and I's experience that your intuition or your gut is just it's either spiritual warfare the flesh or it's the devil, the devil tempting you. It'd be easier to teach them in the first place to trust their gut than to deprogram them later or mm. try to help get that out of their system. Cause that took us years. I think it took a lot of ex Christians or former evangelicals or former fundamentalists years to trust themselves. Okay. So I have a couple answers for that. One is our gut instinct isn't always going to be correct. It's going to be correct a lot of the time. Sometimes we're going to be a little bit wrong. And what matters in that moment though, is if you have the freedom to then be collecting additional data that shifts your gut feeling just like any person who's like a scientist, it's not about necessarily needing to be right. It's about how you synthesize all the material that you're given and all the ever-changing material and then what you have in front of you. And so that if they're wrong, it could be that they just didn't have all the information. Like a gut instinct with this person in the park could be that he was a really scary person who was going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't. He was angry about something that he thought had happened or maybe did happen in his life and he just needed someone to care. So your gut instinct can sometimes be a little bit off and that's okay as long as you know that is part of being human, that you just might be going based on the information and assumptions that you have at your disposal at the moment. But by and large, it is going to be pretty accurate if I could give numbers, I'd say it's a good like 80-20 split. So you're going to be pretty accurate about at least some part of it, that something is not quite right. And what is important in that to help people trust their gut, because it's going to guide them well a lot of the time, even if it's not clear, even if it's just a feeling or like your heart skips a beat, you're not sure, but you want to take that in, that the things that are demonized the most by people trying to have ultimate control over you are the things that threaten them the most because they're powerful. Mm -hmm. And so people's gut instincts are powerful and most often, right? And that's why people who don't want you to be able to follow them need to make you feel that they're wrong and need to make you afraid of them and need to make you feel like if you follow them, you're going to be going down the wrong path or that's not what God wants you to do, or that's your hubris, or that's your pride, or whatever other words are going to throw at it. So like within a cult, a leader will demonize the family member most who's not involved, let's say, who they think has the biggest chance of pulling somebody away mm -hmm. because they have the strongest connection to that person. And that person has the most influence then over them. And so then suddenly the person, the parent who is the most connected, and this is why it hurts so much for a lot of parents, they're going to be skewered the most 
in the eyes of the leader and in the eyes of their loved one. And when during their process of deprogramming of exit counseling, I say that's because the leader could tell how connected you were and how much you loved them and how much that person loved you and how much you listened and how much you should listen to them. They needed to work extra hard to extract you away from that person because of how powerful and how pure that connection was. It's like a backhanded compliment to the people who get skewered the most. And I think sometimes it's hard on the other end, because if you're coming out of a high control situation and you're deprogramming, there's that guilt that comes with knowing how you participated and contributed to some of those hierarchies of power and how you passed on those ideas and did a lot of the same actions that were modeled for you, right? I worked with youth. I worked with children. I shared messages that I no longer would ever share with youth or children. And what do you recommend for people like carrying their own guilt of how they might've negatively impacted other people's lives or hurt people when they're in those scenarios? And then would that keep them in the cult longer knowing that what they had said had been so damaging? Yeah. So I want to say something about kids. Also, when you talk to mm. kids, there are different ages and then I'll remember, I'll get to the question that there there are different ages where it just seems like people are emerging into having more independence. They're interacting with other people. And what is really important when you start teaching them about that there are people out there to watch out for is that they will know a little bit about what they should be watching for. So they know if someone is a safe person or not, and you can participate in empowering their gut when they tell you, no, I just don't want to get together with so-and-so anymore, or that person's not my friend anymore, or she, she, he wants to see me, but I don't know if I want to, well, what is that about? What just happened? Mm -hmm. And to support that and to not say, oh, come on, bitch is your friend. And, oh, you know, right. don't be mean. That and, is so true. Right. And to say, let's, well, let's sit for a minute and see what that's about and to join them in their story and to not just overrule them. And right. to not tell them they're doing something unkind by setting a bit of a boundary, but to help them have the language of discussing what felt wrong, that is going to be a really good way of helping them notice then as they get older and things might feel bigger, like a boyfriend, girlfriend scenario, or their first job or their teacher who deflates their sense of confidence over and over again. And then they don't, they think they're not good at English anymore. There are plenty of teachers who will do those things. So that's true. <laughs> that happened to me, actually. Sorry for interrupting. But <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Sarah knows exactly who I'm talking about. There was this substitute teacher that just had it out for me for all of high school. I can't, I don't know. He told my parents that I was slipping through the cracks and my parents are like on it. They're not, uh -huh. they don't screw around. And we all laugh about it now, but I had told them that he was, there's just something not right going on. And they did believe me. But then when they talked to him, they really believed me. But I think it was very empowering to know that my parents had my back in that moment. Yes, exactly. And then I was like, okay, this person, it's just not right how they're treating me. A teacher shouldn't be treating a 14 year old like this or a 15 year old like this. Yeah, no, not at all. I remember in my high school and I know we're like, it's like a pachinko machine. We're going all over the place, but I will come back. <laughs> In my high school, which was this private girls' school that was a weird social place for me, but it's a well-known school and that's why I'm not mentioning it. But there happened to be a teacher one year who was anti-Semitic and I just could sense it. And there were not a lot of Jews in the school at the time. 
And I started noticing that I was getting mediocre grades in the class. And my friend who's like four other girls in the class, we all had very obvious Jewish sounding names. And we all got together and I said, does anyone notice that everyone else seems to get an A and B, but we get a C on everything. And this is college prep. So all our grades really matter and this matters, but it's always us four. And we did fine in the other classes. And suddenly this teacher is sure that we all deserve a C or lower on everything. And then we were able to combine forces. But yes, I had my parents backing who at first said, well, you just need to do more homework and you need to stay up later to finish blah, blah, blah. And you probably are making careless mistakes until I was like, well, let's see, Schwartz, Levine, Horowitz, Bernstein. Yeah, we're the only ones. (laughs) Okay, let's look at this. Okay, hello. So then it just was hard to ignore. So when you have participated... See, I can toggle when you have participated in doing things to people that in, in retrospect, you really regret because it's not who you are and it's not who you would be now with them. And it really hurts to look at it. It's very good to think about making amends if you feel like you can, and if you feel like you want to, and sometimes going to the people and saying, I just, I feel terrible about what I was involved in and what I did. But for you to wrestle with your own conscience on it, I think it is good to say something to yourself like, these aren't things that I would have done on my own. These are things that I really felt I needed to do for my own survival in a particular group. I was put in this situation. I was backed into this corner by people who are older than I was and people also who've been doing this a long time and people who should know better than to do this to people. But I also probably did things with a good intention. And intention, I think, makes a lot of difference here. That you weren't waking up in the morning saying, who can I hurt today? You were thinking, well, I feel like I am believing or I'm wanting to believe that this is what's right for them. Or if I behave this way, I'm helping. I'm doing God's work. And in retrospect, no, it wasn't helping. But I think the fact that there's an innocence in the intention that sometimes I think can make a difference. And if you feel like this is something that your conscience is still wrestling with and you have an opportunity to say something to the people, that sometimes really helps a lot. And just coming clean and saying, this has been on my my heart for a long time and I want to say that I feel bad and I wouldn't have done it had it not been presented as being for your benefit or whatever the situation was. You mentioned intention because I think that sometimes that makes it easier to forgive people for the hurt that they might cause. Like I've had, when I came out, I've had people that were close to me say things like you're going to go to hell or this is wrong. And when you think that it's like legitimately in their worldview coming from a place of love, it's easier to be like, okay, I don't agree with you, but I still love you. And it's easier to understand that they're not doing this because they want to cause you pain. They're the ones that are actually suffering. So I try to be like, okay, I'm not going to wish more suffering or react in a way that will cause more pain because they're already losing sleep over the way I'm living, which has nothing to do with them and which isn't wrong. And I mean, so when you think about it that way, you're like, unfortunately, I don't wish suffering on anyone, but they're already experiencing suffering and I don't need to accept that into Mm -hmm. my life and my space. I like that. Yeah. I like that. It's good that we're talking about all of this and we're talking it out. And one of the things that I was going to say too about not scaring your kids so much is that 
if they know they can always talk to you about that something doesn't feel right, or even when they become grownups that they can, well, you'll be doing a lot of cult education for them. And so they'll know, <laughs> they'll have a checklist in their mind of things to watch out for, like absolute thinking and that you can't question and that you have to keep this secret, you know, boom, boom, boom. And there's a checklist and it's one that you give your kids, if you're worried about predators, it's not dissimilar. And that if they know that they can come to you, but especially when someone says, don't tell anyone, that's the time they do go to you and say, this person told me not to tell anyone yeah. what they want me to do or what they were going to do to me or what they want me to sign up for. Whenever someone is taking away their voice and their rights, that's the time to not go along. Like now there are a lot of cults that have people sign non-disclosure agreements at the beginning, which should be a red flag right away. You don't even have time to read what it is before you're told you have to sign it. And so if someone has you signing, putting your signature on something or signing away your rights or saying you can't say, that's the time to leave and that's the time to say. I have a question that is along these lines, but you know, you know, when you join a cult and you know, yeah. And, and it feels so good because you're being love bombed or et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we were just talking about gut feelings. And I know that when I have been involved in, well, when I was involved in Christianity, but also just like other kind of culty groups afterwards, it feels really good mm -hmm. all the time until mm -hmm. it doesn't. If we tell our children to follow their gut feelings and they're like, well, this feels good. So I should follow my gut feeling. But in reality, it is not good because cults know how to reel you in. Mm -hmm. How do you differentiate that? Right. So that is a, that is quite a challenge because yes. it is like a drug and you don't have to be on a drug to have a release of oxytocin of a lot of the yummy feelings that have you not notice what you need to be noticing. Mm -hmm. And that can go on for many months. Same thing with a new relationship where you feel like you're on a high and nothing can go wrong and you don't need as much sleep and everything is hilarious for some reason. And you feel motivated to do everything. And it really is like being on a drug. And so there is something good to let people know that if it seems too good to be true, it might be. And while that's not to say that everything that feels good is bad, but just that if you notice that very quickly, you are thinking that this is one of the best things you've ever experienced and the best things you've ever felt. If you can have the wherewithal to take a moment to step away and see if you can break the trance just for a day or two, step away and look, do some research. If it's an organization, do some research. Also, the other thing is a lot of cultic groups will tell you not to go on the internet, not to research them, not to find out. Or they won't tell you the name of the company right away. Right. Exactly. That's why they have so many front names because there was an expose done about the group and they don't want you to know it's connected. Mm -hmm. Or they, the church changes their name. Right. Oh, happen. a lot. A lot. Yeah. People will say, have you heard of this church? And if I haven't heard of it, I'll say, how long was it around? Oh, it's just the last few years. Well, then it's probably been around for longer. And it used to go by another name. And I'll just ask who the founders 
were. But people within cults know the least amount of information about them because they're kept from getting that information. So the general public knows much more about the group that you're involved in than you do, which is good to remember. And if you can say, you know what, this feels amazing. And this has happened really quickly. I've been love bombed, basically. Like I learned from my moms what that is. And this feels really good, really fast, which might mean that it's great, or it might mean that was created so that I would go along with it and I would sign up or I wouldn't question or I'd want more. So let me notice this feeling inside of me that feels like I'm floating above the ground and know that it could be that this is great, but also if it has to do with an organization, this is the time when I'm feeling this to start doing my research and to see if this is something that was created, cultivated so that I would sign up for more, so that I would devote my life to this, so that I would drop out of school for this, or I would leave my spouse for this or whatever it is. I know. And there's nothing, really, there is nothing worse. Gosh, how many times has this happened to you, Sarah? Like for me, I can think of at least like two or three instances when you're like, this is just so fantastic. It seems too good to be true. Like for example, for me, like an MLM. And then I go online and it's, it's because it's actually too good to be true. It's not true. And it's not real. And then the high immediately goes away and you're like, well, now I feel stupid. And that's a bad feeling, but it's for the best been there so many times. (laughs) Right. And I think also if you're dealing with a narcissist, they can charm a lot of people, but there's inevitably going to be a friend or a family member who's going to see through them. Mm-hmm. You might think of them as naysayers or negative people or whatever, but it's because they see bullshit. <laughs> and so it's true. You know, I, I dated a, like a few narcissists and if my, I, my mom never liked any of my boyfriends, but that's because they were all crappy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, no, it's because my mom could see through all the bullshit immediately. Yeah. Right. And when she met my now husband, there was no, nothing negative nothing at all. Right. So that's important. Right. So when you're caught up in someone's vortex and it's a relational kind of thing, and there isn't research to be done online, I think then you get other eyes on it. Opinions of those you love and trust around you that you've known for a long time that, you know, really have your back. Exactly. Right. It's not like they just want you to be single forever or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like they just, I just know that I've been in that vortex and it's taken my own strength to get out of it. No one's ever been successful at getting me out of it, but Mm -hmm. people have been successful at planting the doubt and me knowing that they're going to be there when I'm out of it. And maybe you can comment on that, especially when it comes to people in cults, like the parents of children that are in cults. If you're worried about someone who you think is involved in something, how you respond. Yeah, there is a certain way of doing it. I have a webinar on my website, uh, rachelbernsteintherapy.com. It's a three-part thing for former cult members and a three-part thing for families and friends. Sort of how to broach these subjects without pushing people farther away, farther in, because it's pretty nuanced. There is a certain, I see it as a dance where if you're slow dancing with someone and they move towards you, you need to move back. Like they push you away because they're in your face. So if you then think of it where if you want to reach someone, you can't get in their face. You actually need to step back and say, I'm here, but can we look at something together? You invite them to step forward. You've given them the space to do it. 
because you're not criticizing them. You're not telling them they have to leave. You're not being in their face. I think for people to say, I hope this is wonderful and I hope it's everything it promises to be, or that I hope this person is everything they, that you think they are. And if they're not, here's how you might know. And if they're not, you can always talk to me. And I won't say I told you so, because I might not know. I'm not the expert here. I'm just noticing some things, but I'm also happy for you if you really genuinely are happy. Like it's in this in-between space of planting some seeds, but still being open to being wrong, but saying, I'm here. You will always have a place to go. It will be safe for you to say, oh, actually, yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad I'm not with that person anymore. They're a creep or whatever. So yeah, I think you don't come out fighting like you have to get away and this is group is bad or this person gives me the creeps or something because I've seen it in when I've done counseling with families when I've seen parents and children where the it's an interesting thing it's been like a study that I've seen which was not planned where when parents say they'll come in they'll say my child is dating someone we really hate and can we all talk about it as a family because it just winds up with fighting and can you moderate a conversation so that nothing is thrown <laughs> and i'll notice if a parent says you have to break up with her or something and she's awful and then their child will come to their partner's defense you don't know her you don't know what she's really like and how dare you you just don't want me to be happy and when I've talked to some of those people after the kids in these situations, they weren't even sure of what they were saying was true, but they just felt like they had to say that because they had to bring up the other part of it and be the counterbalance and defend themselves, defend their partner. But if a parent says, you might be happy with this person, we don't know. It could be that there are things that we just don't see. We, yeah, we have some of our concerns, but we're also willing to back off if you really are very happy and maybe this is the best relationship you've ever been in. And then very often I hear the child of any age say, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It kind of opens that up. They're not on the defense because they're right. Really, and yeah. they can say that then it's coming from them. And they can say, actually, no, I feel like this, she puts me down or she's not honest or whatever. But they wouldn't have said it if they had to dig their heels in and be defensive, you mm -hmm, know, yeah. so there's an art to it in that way of giving someone the space to come forward safely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know we've talked a lot about groups and groups that can have nefarious motives and groups that can have red flags. But I guess I also would like to hear your perspective as a therapist on green flags within certain groups and also the important role that groups do play in development of the person across the lifespan. Mm. Wow. Good question, Sarah. No, Cause I mean, group think it's all those dynamics are, it's very human. It's very evolutionary. And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. And we're obviously drawn to this type of thing that we needed as humans to be in community with one another. Yeah. And so this is a great question. So, and if I don't answer all of it, get me back on track because this can go <laughs> many different directions mm -hmm. and I don't have a PowerPoint presentation ready for this. This could <laughs> oh, be a whole lecture, right? Sorry. One one of the things that I've noticed about when I work with a lot of people and I've asked them about why they stayed way beyond the point of no longer being happy and feeling like they were participating and doing things and saying things. Even I have talked to people who were deacons in particular cultic groups who were giving sermons 
and they didn't believe a word of it anymore, but they weren't ready because their whole family was in or their parents had started it or something. So there are a lot of people just figuring out what this means to them anymore and if they believe it and when they can leave and if they can leave. And so, so many people are in turmoil in these groups and they just don't let on about it because they just feel like they can't. But a lot of people will say that they stayed much longer because of the community, because of the connection, because they were afraid of being alone, because that's the very bleak picture they were given by a leader of a group. And they saw that with people being disconnected from that you go into the shadows, basically, and you just, you no longer have this community and you're abandoned and rejected by a community that you know. And so people will delay that for as long as possible. So one of the green flags is that you can disagree, that you can say, "Eh, okay, but maybe not. Or I see that that's important for some people to believe that, but that's not my thing. And that that's okay, that you can come to something, a relationship or a group or something, having your own thoughts about it and maybe believing some of it, but not all of it. And that's your critical thinking, doing what it's supposed to be doing. And there are just some things that you can't believe and that needs to be okay, that it doesn't have to be absolute. I think another green flag is that you don't have to see yourself as superior to the rest of the world. And you don't have to see the rest of oh, the whole rest of the world yeah. as having something wrong with it. It's so less that, othering mm-hmm. those right. inside the group. And that it's not just the only, that it's not the only way, the true way, the best way, the where God is and God is nowhere else, because they're almost every kind of religious cultic group will say that this is the true something. And that's just not the case. And if it presents itself as one of many, and you can kind of take it or leave it, and it's okay. And if we might have what you want here, and we might not, and it's just another interpretation that's very safe. If you are told also that something, you know, that they'll be happy for you and it'll be fine with them if you need to leave and that you can still hold on to those relationships and friendships, that's a green light because then you get the feeling and it's been proven that it's not a conditional acceptance, a conditional relationship, that they really care about you as a human being, wherever you may wind up, wherever you may go. Another green flag is if the rules apply to the leader as well as the followers (laughs) and that everyone has equal rights and equal say. So male, female, everywhere in between and children, adults, all of it. And also that it doesn't exist outside the law, that the law of the land applies here too. They can't just get away with things or cry religious persecution like Scientology does If people say, hey, it's not okay that you're letting your followers rape people. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, I just was following the Danny Masterson case Mm -hmm. as well. Yep. Yep, exactly. But I think another green flag is if it doesn't have to become your whole life, you can have things outside of it. You can have friendships. You can have work. You can have ideas. You can even belong to a Buddhist temple, as well as a church and whatever you want, that it is something that is in a healthy way should be a nice addition to your life, but doesn't have to become your entire life. I feel like I need to make a list. Like 
Because with every single example that you've given, I can think of a group that is a green flag, as you describe, and Mm -hmm. a group that is opposite. So like a big red flag. It's a full spectrum of some organizations that will have like some of the green and the red mixed together. And obviously Mm -hmm. the more green, the better. And we've experienced, I think both Sarah, um, groups that had a little bit of each. Because I don't think I've ever been in a group that had all red flags, but definitely some of them had some. For the three of us, I'd say that all of those, that whole list makes sense to us. Right, right. But I think that there are people that are listening that maybe have just left Christianity or maybe are just starting to deconstruct a little. That isn't intuitive to them. Right. It's true. And I think with people who come out of these groups who find themselves oversharing, one of the other green flags is that you can have privacy. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to say why you didn't come to church. You don't have to explain what you're doing in the bedroom with your partner. You don't have to talk about things. Unless it's with your spiritual mentor, right? (laughs) Unless it's with your spiritual mentor, (laughs) who will often ill-advise you about things because they don't know about life either. So that's a weird kind of keeping the dialogue in-house where you really don't get the information you need. Yeah. Instead of going to a therapist or someone yeah. that's more neutral. like Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and God. I think also another green flag is if they care about mental health, if they care about the fact that you're depressed or you're anxious, they know what that is. They will offer you an idea about a therapist you can talk to. They, it's not that it's Satan. It's not that you need to just pray more. There are other resources available and that they'll be open to you finding them to get mm-hmm. help with whatever it is that you're suffering. Hopefully the, uh, not all the resources are in-house. Oh, right. Yeah. Not all the, definitely not, and not paid by, paid for by. By Scientology. That, <laughs> by Scientology, right. <laughs> but that they can say, you know, yeah, it seems like you're suffering and it's not because of something you did wrong too, that they have more of an awareness of current thinking about things so Mm -hmm. that you're not just consistently blamed as the victim over and over. Do we have any other questions, Sarah? We probably have about five minutes. I feel like that was very well-rounded. Like, I just wish that we could talk about, oh my gosh, like Scientology. That's forever. I was going to say like our conversation has been so interesting to me because I find that like my oldest is almost seven and developmentally they get to the point where social relationships are getting more complex and she's describing events and how they made her feel and some interactions with other people. And you're right. That's absolutely where you can open the dialogue to teach things like boundaries. And so it's like with anything that we've talked about in terms of crap questions she's had around religion, I'm like, that's, it's up to you to figure out what you're going to believe, but I want it to be where you're being kind to yourself and kind to others. Like as long Mm -hmm. as those two things are happening. And so just one last question along those lines is people that may be listening, have family members that are perhaps still Christians and they're going to have Christian, maybe more fundamental influences from extended family members. How do you navigate that? Like As a parent, you can create boundaries with people, but sometimes they won't respect them and still try to, I don't know, convert your children to Christianity, even though maybe you want them to make their own choices. How do you keep that from affecting your relationship with those family members? It's so complicated and it's so nuanced depending on the situation, but I don't know if you have like a blanket advice about that. Yeah. So I worked with a lot of people who either left something, but their parents are still involved and the parents are now grandparents who sometimes want to babysit. 
or that the parents just got involved in something and they're worried about them influencing the grandkids in the next generation. It doesn't very often work if someone really is involved in something fundamentalist and they really do feel like it is their duty to proselytize and to keep their loved ones safe by teaching them the right way to believe, you might not be able to get them to stop pontificating. But if you can talk to your loved ones and say, we want you to be able to spend time with the family and with the grandkids. And so we would rather that this was not a topic, but if you're not there, you really don't know. And if you suddenly see the impact on your child, perhaps of their influence, I think without wanting to insult religious belief, but to use the being Jewish, I, not that I'm so strict religiously, but I'm very involved in the culture of it. And I go to synagogue and because I I feel like I want to continue it on from generation to generation, there's a rich culture. And with so many people being killed who are Jewish, I feel like it's my duty to continue it if I can. But I was also raised where, so you believe this or you believe that, you know, what and that doesn't matter what my rabbi used to talk about um, predicate theology, that it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what you do with the guidelines that you've been given about how to be in the world. So knowing that, that it's very open to different ideas. Uh, so I say this, not wanting to insult people of any religion, but that sometimes kids can be told that sometimes, let's say grandma and grandpa, they have some things that they think about in a different way. And that sometimes they might tell some stories that feel a little different or might feel a little scary because if it's, you're going to go to hell, if you do this, that feels a little scary, but that's the story that they tell. And sometimes people just tell different stories than we tell. And we think about things in different ways. And you can talk about it, I think, in that way where, you know, grandma, grandpa might really think this, but it's not something that we think, and it's not something you need to be worried about. And to think in your mind, that's grandma and grandpa thinking that they're wanting to be helpful. So I can love them for wanting to be helpful, but I don't have to believe their story, just like to present it like it's a fairy tale. And that... If it gets uncomfortable, though, to teach your kids to have the words to either if they feel like they can say to grandma and grandpa, I'm not comfortable with talking about this. And let's talk about other things that make me feel less nervous or less worried, or I'm not going to be able to fall asleep if we keep talking about this. Uh And if they feel like they can't say it to their grandparents to know that they can come to you and say, this is what they said is true or what's going to happen to us. (laughs) And what do you think? Because it made me feel scared or it made Mm -hmm. me feel something. And that when those feelings get stirred up inside and you're not there, for them to know that that's something they don't have to worry about, having to keep private, secret, and you're not going to be upset with them if they tell you and that you actually want to hear it. So that you have a chance to talk to them about how you think about it, but that it's okay for people to think different things. And even if they're your grandparents, you don't have to think the same way. There are a lot of people of different generations who are like horribly racist. (laughs) And so, (laughs) right. Like they don't, you don't have to buy into it. 
it's okay. That's the way mm-hmm. grandma and grandpa think. And even just because like I, as your parent, think something, even if I oh. think something's a certain way or I believe a certain way, like, what do you think? And it's awesome that we get to wonder together and we get to ask questions. And so I think really like start trying to instill in kids to ask questions and to like, really think about, oh, what do I think about this? Because I also don't want them to think if they believe something that I, they know I disagree with that they can't come to me. Like I'm like, because I, there is the possibility, maybe they'll be part of religion. Maybe they'll believe in God. And I don't want that to not be a space that they can occupy as they're not mine. They are their own. And I mean, I had, unfortunately, one of my kids felt that it was his obligation to let someone know at summer camp that Santa Claus wasn't real. Oh no. And (laughs) They thought they were doing them a favor because it came out of the fact that they were crying because they forgot to leave cookies. And so my son thought he was being helpful by saying, oh, don't worry. Santa Claus wasn't coming anyway. So we're good. So (laughs) that wasn't great. And I needed to write a letter of apology to the family. But it was in the spirit. Like it's all about intention, right? It's intention to really protect that person's feelings. But it's sometimes also good to expand kids' knowledge, even if you want them to have maybe a link to some belief system that matters to you. And this doesn't detract from that. But if you teach them about and show them pictures about Hinduism and Hindu gods and what they look like and what they believe in, even mythology, Roman mythology and Greek mythology, and people who have believed a lot of things over time and what that's about and Jewish thinking, Buddhist thinking, there's so many ways that people believe in grandma and grandpa and whoever else believe this way. And there are hundreds of other ways. And so they know it's just one of many stories that are told. And so I think that's just good for people to know there, there are many ways to approach belief. Yeah. Unless you're like homeschooling them or keeping them under a rock. Like they're going to meet kids with different belief systems. They're going to meet families that look different. They're going to, yeah, it's it's life. Right. And to say nothing bad is going to happen to them because they didn't believe the right way. Cause that's the other thing that happens with this sort of false correlation over and over again. This is what happens to people. And if something bad does happen to someone within a controlling environment, you'll be told it's because they didn't believe the right way or because they left the fold. And so for them to know those two things are not connected is a really good thing for them too. So if they hear from their relatives that bad things happen to people who don't believe the right way, and then they fall off their bike the next day, you don't want them to start making these false correlations. Yeah. Well, I think we're out of time. I can't believe. I feel like we could have just kept talking. This has been so lovely, like getting to pick your brain. And I hope we can have you on again someday. This was wonderful. And I want to pick your brain about 10,000 other things. (laughs) So I'll just keep listening to indoctrination and then I'll probably get all my answers eventually. (laughs) Okay. But I'm happy to talk again. It's been really fun. Really nice to talk to both of you. And I'm happy for you that you are where you are in your lives. I'm happy for your podcast audience to be able to hear from your stories and your wisdom and your experience. But also I'm happy for you with your kids growing up in these kinds of environments where they get to be them, which is lovely. And now we have more tools in our tool belt yes. to help them. Yeah. Thank you cool. so much. You're Thank welcome. you so much.